Welcome to Using Our Library Voices, a podcast that represents yet another way that Harris County Public Libraries provides information and resources to enrich lives and strengthen communities through innovative programs and services both within and beyond our walls. I'm your host this week, Ellen Kalusha, and from the Northwest Branch Library. For anyone with kids, Lori Berkner is a familiar face. The queen of kids' music takes us on her journey and shares her own experiences. Hello, my name is Jennifer Finch, and I'm here today with one of the biggest names in children's music. Lori Berkner broke into the children's music scene with the album What Do You Think of That? and has a total of 15 best-selling, award-winning albums, with a new holiday album which has just been released. To celebrate What Do You Think of That's 25th anniversary, it has been re-released on vinyl. She has three books based on her songs with publisher Simon & Schuster Books for Young Readers and two others she has published based on her music. She has had her music videos performed on Nick Jr. and was regularly featured on NBC Universe's Sprout House. She has also written music for three off-Broadway children's musicals. With all that, I don't know how she has time to travel and perform with the Lori Berkner Band as much as she does. Personally, I have been using her music for almost 20 years in Storytimes and was grateful for permission to use her music in our streaming Storytimes during the worst of the pandemic. People Magazine has declared Lori the queen of kids' music, and I have to say I agree. Welcome, Lori, to Using Our Library Voices. Hi, I'm so glad to be here. So, Lori, what was your inspiration to work in children's music rather than other areas of music? Well, when I was graduating college back in the early 90s, I moved into Manhattan kind of imagining that I would try to see what I could do to make it as a musician. So I was playing in coffee houses. I had a a band that played in some dive bars. And I also was babysitting for my downstairs neighbor. And she happened to be a movement teacher at Rockefeller University in the city. And she said, you're so good with my kid and you're a musician. But do you want to maybe like try out for this job? The, mu- the music teacher is leaving after 10 years and they want somebody cheap. <laughs> and I said, oh, sure. I was a music counselor at a camp and, you know, I like working with kids and okay, great. I'll apply for that job. So I got the job. I don't know that they should have given me the job at the beginning because I was really struggling. Um, But eventually I ended up realizing that if I started to write songs working with the kids, that things got a lot easier. And I learned a lot along the way. So, so that I, the fact that I needed to write the music in order to actually work with the kids in my job led me to thinking, Oh, I could, perform this, like I could do this music instead of like the the cover band I'm in or this rock band that I'm in. And people actually really want to hear it and they aren't drunk and screaming at me. They're, they're kids screaming at me, but it feels different. (laughs) (laughs) So eventually I kind of made my way over to the kids world. That sounds about right. I remember when I first started as a children's specialist, I struggled. I don't know that I should have gotten the job either, but eventually I found my stride. That that sounds very familiar. So what have you learned about writing music for children over the last 25 or so years? So I think one of the things that actually came out of having to write the songs that I was going to sing right with the kids every day, I learned 
both on the job, but also from the woman that had my job before me, because I was starting to do music with the kids, was not writing it, was struggling to even find songs that they would like. Like if I would sing Old MacDonald and they would just go, ah, baby song, I don't want to hear that. Like really, because the five or six, five and six year olds would say that, and you know, and I couldn't figure out what to even do with them. Kids I had worked with at in a camp setting had been older. So I went to observe this woman, Ruth Alperson, who had had the job before me in her private classes um, where she was teaching in Westchester after she had left. And I said, how do you, how do you do that? How do you get the, she had these three-year-olds like doing everything she wanted them to do. She didn't have to say anything. They would just like did it all. I had no idea how she did it. And she said, stop talking and put it in the music. So I sort of have morphed that into sing it, don't say it. And if you have something you really want to express in the music, put it into the music. If you want kids to do a certain thing, say it in the song, create it in the song and remember to keep it simple. Like don't tell them to do 20 million things try to focus in on a few things or even just one thing with one song. And if you have a lot of things to say and a lot of things you want to share with kids or have them do, write many songs <laughs> because it can be very overwhelming to hear lots and lots of direction or suggestions, you know, all thrown at a person at once, especially when they're still you know, there's language development happening so early and, and physical development, and they're trying to do all of those things. So those are a couple of really important things that I've learned. That The sing it, don't say it, that, again, also sounds very familiar. They pay attention more when you sing it than if you say it to them. Right, because talking is like, blah, 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 blah. All the adults do that all the time, right? The Charlie Brown teacher. Yes, exactly. And the other thing is, if what you put in the song mm -hmm. is interesting... Like there's some sort of interactive element, a specific, especially movement, but like any kind of interaction, then you're giving them a way to participate in the music. And mm -hmm. once that's there, then the music becomes much more engaging and it's interesting and they want to listen because you're asking them to be involved. Yeah, the, these are my glasses. One of your, again, one of your songs off of your first album is... Uh, one of my quiet down songs, but I've also used it to calm down toddlers that are throwing tantrums in the library. Wow. You mean, do you just sing it to them or do you play the song? What do you do? I sing it to them and I have little movements that I've created. I have about a 60% success rate with temper tantrums with the toddler. Sometimes there's nothing you can do to calm them down, but sometimes the These Are My Glasses really works to calm them down in the library. So That's amazing. Again, thank you. <laughs> sure. <laughs> So we include singing in our early literacy program, Growing Readers, as a key learning component for children. What about singing do you think helps children learn? I mean, I don't know specifically research-wise. Mm. I know there's a ton of research about how singing helps kids learn. So just from my anecdotal experience, the thing that I think a lot of us experience is that when you add melody to information, verbal information then it's much easier to remember it for whatever reason. It when it's rhyming, when it has a rhythm to it, when there are musical notes associated, like that association, our brain just 
soaks that up so much more easily and and holds on to it. So there's just if there is something maybe like a life skill that needs to be learned and can be learned through a song, I think it just becomes something that is much easier to actually integrate into their into themselves and they don't forget it as easily. We don't. I mean, as everybody. <laughs> I I also think that there's a huge emotional component. What is it like to use your own body um, and do that in conjunction with other children, interacting with a family member, a teacher, some other adult that's that's there? So what is it like to, to communicate using music? So there's communication skills. There's, there's certainly a lot of information that gets imparted in a song. You know, maybe kids who are learning sounds, kids who are learning letters, all of those different things can just often be more easily learned. And I think there's also something about the ownership of a song. I was thinking about kids who needed to mask at school. I wrote a song called um, Superhero Mask because I got a lot of parents saying to me, my child doesn't want to wear this mask and I don't know how to make it something that feels good and empowering instead of scary, right? So giving that message and then singing the song, singing a song about this is my superhero mask. So there's like ownership over what they're doing, ownership over the feeling of the song itself because it's an I statement in the song. And then being able to express it physically. And then hopefully that translates into replacing some of the fear with a feeling of strength and self-confidence. You know, so I, I just feel like there's... It's kind of endless, actually, what kids can learn through music, if you ask, as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) No, no, I agree completely. I'm definitely one of those people that learn better through music than any other type. You know, they talk about the auditory learners, the kinesthetic learners, and the visual learners. But if if you break it down, there's a lot more to those. And there was a research study done a while back that they asked for people online to take this test and it was a college that had it on there. And I actually tested highest in musical. Interesting. As a music learner. And before I'd always been uh, higher either in auditory or visual. But that makes sense with the auditory music being a component of that. Some people actually do learn best through music. But I would argue that everybody learns through music. I mean, right. earworms are simple. Mm-hmm. Sorry. I mean, if we didn't, then people wouldn't get earworms. Right, right. That's actually how I know my bank account number. (laughs) I literally sing it in my head every single time I go to like write it down on a check. (laughs) That is brilliant. And I need to learn that. (laughs) That's a great idea. I don't know why I haven't done that. What are some of your favorite songs that you sang to your own children or your favorite classic children's songs? Interesting. So so my daughter's 18. Mm -hmm. And does not really like me to sing to her. (laughs) (laughs) But when she was younger, I used to sing St. Judy's Comet by Paul Simon to her a lot. And I've always imagined I one day I'm going to record it, do an album of, quote, adult music that has, I think, a beautiful place in like family relationships. So I think that would be really fun to do. But that that song was particularly fun because there's also this line like, because if I can't sing my boy to sleep, it makes your famous daddy look so dumb. (laughs) (laughs) 
And by the time I had had Lucy, I'd had a little bit of a, a celebrity explosion. And I was like, oh, yeah, this actually like works. Makes I just think girl and mama. <laughs> so that's a fun one. I also, I, I love musicals. When I was a kid, I was just so enamored of Julie Andrews and the parts that she played in really classic shows in the sound of music i also had a recording somewhere i don't know how of her singing my fair lady mm-hmm. she may have played it um in the uk on in west end or something like that i'm not it sure. actually originated the role on broadway okay that's why so i and i did not see her there but i did see a revival of my fair lady with rex harrison in it Ooh. When I was a kid and I, I remember thinking like, this isn't Julie Andrews. <laughs> so we must, we must've had a recording of the original Broadway show and, and of course, Mary Poppins and, you know, so there were just, but I listened to lots and lots of musicals. So I love those songs. I love Joe Remy and mm-hmm. the sound of music, my favorite things and the lonely goat herd. I'm pulling everything from the sound of yeah. music. because That was my biggest one. <laughs> But Spoonful of Sugar, anyway, just, you know, those songs from a lot of those shows, I feel like are are just so joyful and, and fun to sing. So those are kind of ones that are my favorites. I watched a lot of Shirley Temple musicals when I was little. Oh, fun. <laughs> and then my second grade teacher, Ms. Nelson, by the way, having a second grade teacher whose name was Miss Nelson, when Miss Nelson is missing was the biggest book out there for was great. She had the decorations everywhere. Wow. But she would play, if we'd had a good day, she would play the title song from Phantom of the Opera or Castle in the Clouds from Les Mis. And I became obsessed with Phantom of the Opera uh-huh. to the point where my parents bought me the, for a cassette tape that had some of the, the shortened version of the soundtrack. And then later I got the full cast album on CD and then I got to see it in San Francisco when I was a teenager. And I've since seen the touring production here in Houston. It's still one of my all-time favorite musicals, but I have that just developed into a love as a whole of musicals. And of course, I love Sound of Music. I w- watched that growing up on TV. And um, I've seen My Fair Lady with Audrey Hepburn, but unfortunately it's Audrey Hepburn and she's, she, they didn't let her sing in it. I know. <laughs> And do you remember that like in Thanksgiving, you would have to wait, like I waited every year till Thanksgiving to see the sound of music so that we could just watch it once a year. Like before, I, actually, I don't know how old you are. You might not be as old as me, but you look like you're not. <laughs> but like I had to wait because we didn't even have VCRs yet, like let alone that you could find it on cable, which also happened when I was older. So in my like 10 year old years, uh, we did most of the same thing. But when I was little, my dad worked at Kmart he was a manager and they had raffle drawings for the managers. So we actually did have a VCR like oh, nice. in the early, early, early eighties. So by the time I can remember, we had a VCR to the point where when I was three, I could pull out the recording where we had like three movies on a, v- a tape. And when I was three, I could fast forward to my Shirley Temple movie that I wanted to watch. Of course. <laughs> but I think we had a recording, a sound of music, but we typically waited until that one came on TV. And my brother, is not a musical fan (laughs) but me and my mom and my dad are my mom uh, her dad like had the cast recordings of musicals he would buy them and so he would play them on records and my mom has the records from like Camelot and others so she remembers Camelot too yeah yeah so she remembers 
listening to the albums when she was growing up. So she and my dad both were into music. And so I grew up listening to music. I also grew up with albums. And now I'm going to actually do a little plug, which is that my first album that had These Are My Glasses and We Are the Dinosaurs and The Cat Came Back and I Know a Chicken on it. Because it's the 25th anniversary, we remastered it digitally and we are releasing it as a 25th anniversary special vinyl edition, which I have in the other room. At first I was like, okay, whatever vinyl, who listens to vinyl? It is so cool looking. Like I am, I just opened it just literally like three days ago and they just, we worked on it with the company that I work with um, for my older music, but they did such a beautiful job of remaking the cover and it looks like candy. It's like, reminds me of the Fisher Price records that I had when I was a kid because I also, I made the actual vinyl yellow because when I first put out my albums on cassette, which is how they, they were never on vinyl. Um, We'd already sort of moved to cassette. I color coded them so young kids couldn't read. I wanted them to know like the yellow one had the dinosaurs on it. The blue one had Victor Vito on it. The red one had Buzz Buzz on it. So they could ask or they could put it in their own player and know what they were going to be listening to. So we made the vinyl yellow Mm -hmm. and they have there's a little sticker on it with the old original cover but from the cd the original drawings and lyrics and liner notes that i wrote on the cassette are on the sleeve of the album and there's also like a game you can find cats everywhere on the album anyway it just it came out so great i'm very so proud of it that's going on my that's going on my list i'm getting out of getting that it's not coming out to November, but you can already pre-order it. It's already available. So yay. Hopefully if you're listening and you like that, get the vinyl. (laughs) (laughs) Here's another more technical question. So how is composing music for children different than for adults? Are there certain types of melodies that children enjoy? I don't know if it's so different. I, I usually don't try to make something different for kids melodically, but Well, I guess it's sort of a question that I think can be answered better if you decide what you want your song to do. If you want kids to be able to sing along with every word, it can be harder to do if you have a more complex melody. But I mean, I remember when Let It Go came out and I was like, wow, they really, this is not like they didn't dumb this down at all. And then you see three-year-olds just belting it, you know? So I think to assume that kids can't do something is not the approach that I think is probably the most helpful as a songwriter. It's more like, to me, I think what pleases me? (laughs) Like when I'm writing a song, what do I want to sing? What sounds good to me? What would I want to sing along to? And I also, I'm always trying to sort of tap into the inner child as well. Mm -hmm. I, I think of myself as sort of like, having this very strong four-year-old inner voice to myself. There's something about that age that I feel very connected to. And it is sort of the sweet spot that I tend to write for right in the preschool world. But once I've kind of fulfilled what the four-year-old needs, then like you want to also make sure that for me, I want to make sure I want to sing it. Mm -hmm. So there has to be components to it that please me as the adult that I am, the parent that I am. At the time when I wrote a lot of my early stuff, like The Goldfish, Let's Go Swimming, or We Are the Dinosaurs, I did not have a daughter yet. I didn't have a child. So like, I was just paying attention to what was fun for me. 
And hopefully that often translates to other adults also liking it. I get and getting enough of them anyway that they can tolerate my music <laughs> instead of it. Because if you're trying to think like what works for a kid, like I almost feel like that's it's so limiting because mm-hmm. you don't know what like what, I don't remember what it's like to be three. And we can be told like you can do research. I remember certain aspects of it, mm-hmm. but I cannot embody that feeling any longer. I am I have lived fifty more years than that. So. Mm-hmm. To honestly say to myself that I really remember just what it's like to be a three-year-old, I think would be very dishonest because I have had too many experiences to be able to actually even go back to that place. But I care a lot about them and that age group. And I do try to put myself in that place and try to like remind myself, what was it like before I knew how to do these things, before my life had changed so much? And I think in terms of the melody and the rhythm, it's important to understand developmentally where a three-year-old mm. tends to be. So we, you don't want to create something that's so hard for them to connect to mm. that then you don't make the connection. But, but again, like who knew, who knew that was going to like that let it go was going to be like the three-year-old mm. favorite for five years, you know, until they were like 50. <laughs> Not that long. But you know what I mean? Like it's just sort of a hard, that's a pretty hard thing to kind of, no, nobody knows what I don't think. <laughs> I mean, I loved Rafi when I was little. Mm-hmm. Which probably puts you at about where my age range is. Right. Um, Just 10 years younger than me. <laughs> Maybe uh, 20. <laughs> no, about, about 13. Okay. <laughs> and Rafi, I remember there was a song about a whale. I don't remember everything, but that was my favorite song. Baby Beluga. I loved whales also because, um, Mm -hmm. and I was also in the Bay area when Humphrey, the wrong way whale went through. So I remember the news stories about when that happened. And then the news reporter wrote her book that got featured on reading rainbow. I loved whales. I loved animals. And so baby beluga was the song for me. But then as I got older and Nickelodeon started doing Nick jr. In the mornings, I started watching the elephant show with Sharon Lois and Bram. When I was trying to come up with a closing song, when I first started doing story times, and so I immediately started doing Skinamarink as my closing song with the movements that I remember them doing from the TV show. Mm-hmm. So a lot of those things stick with you a lot longer than you realize, like to the point I didn't have to look up the lyrics to Skinamarink. I still had it memorized after 20 years of not having seen the song or seen the music or even thinking about it until I started working with these preschoolers. I was an elementary ed major who my specialty was one through grades one through eight. I had no training with littles. So that just really speaks to what we were talking about before about mm-hmm. the power of like learning through music. Some of it is there's like a memorization quality that means you don't actually have to memorize it. It's almost like your brain does the work for you when it's mm-hmm. connected to music. But it is it is quite amazing. My husband's mother now has advanced Alzheimer's. And um, you know I'm sure you've heard many stories like this before, mm-hmm. but Basically, I mean, she doesn't know who he is, but when we go there, we spend over an hour singing songs from the 40s mm-hmm. and she can sing every word. And that's like she she just seems so happy and and in her element in a way that it's very hard to find for her generally. Otherwise, the way that our society is set up, you know, with kind of the demands of having to remember other kinds of things all day to take care of yourself. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is a beautiful thing. Hopefully that will be, this is like we start with it and sort of end with it. That's true. 
So you've adapted some of your songs into books. What was the process like and are any more of your songs being adapted? So, right. The first couple of songs were with Scholastic. Then I did those. I did the last three with Simon and Schuster. I don't have a deal with anyone right now to do that. The ones that we just did were We Are the Dinosaurs, Monster Boogie, and Pillow Land, which I love them. And and I'm I'm so glad they're out there. I also wish that Moon, Moon, Moon and The Goldfish mm-hmm. and Waiting for the Elevator, to me, they make such... They would make such perfect books, mm-hmm. you know, and my books have sold well, but they don't fly out of fly off the shelves the way that like my music mm-hmm. seems to reach people, even though I feel like the people who have the books are all like, we love this book, you know, but I, I haven't been able to kind of crack that the can, the sort of necessary marketing piece of it um, and selling piece, even with a big company like Simon & Schuster. Although maybe sometimes it's sort of in spite of when it's a big company. They, they worked really hard. Yeah. I shouldn't say that. They actually, they put a lot behind it. Mm-hmm. But I one day it would be great to see those others also become books because I just feel like the visuals of them would be so fun mm-hmm. and they would translate so well. And there are other songs as well, but those are sort of the ones that are always at the top of my, my list. I personally love using books that have been adapted from songs in my story times. And I have used We Are the Dinosaurs, mm-hmm. which is a great for story time because it's very high energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pillow Land doesn't lend itself as well to story times. I like with a big group of children. Right. For some reason, I didn't see the boogie. Monster boogie. I don't know what happened with that one. You should check it out because that's very high energy. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to grab that one. See, if you're a librarian, you know my other two books. You didn't even see one of them. Like, I'm not really sure what the disconnect is. but No, uh, but I'm going to talk. If we don't own it, I'm going to make sure that we get it because I like as many songbooks as I can possibly get in the library. <laughs> and Pillowland, often I get feedback that that is one that families use at night. You know, it's more mm-hmm. of a, they use it as a lullaby and a bedtime story because at the end they all go to sleep. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, Tim Hopgood has adapted a lot of classic, like Singing in the Rain. He adapted that into a picture book and mm-hmm. um, Winter Wonderland. And so I've used those and those are always big hits as well. And he also did Moon River. Love that song. Yeah. So Audrey Hepburn again. It is. And she actually got to sing that one. Exactly. Wait, can I tell you a quick story that I know about sure. that? Maybe you know this. I forget who wrote it. Um, Henry Mancini. Thank you. So Henry Mancini was tasked with having to write a song for Audrey Hepburn. And he said, I remember once that I heard her sing this note. And then I heard her sing this note. He was like, so I just went, da, 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 da. okay, okay. And then I just wrote it from there. <laughs> you know, that's that, how you write it. Like, that is incredible. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, just taking it from two notes that he knew mm-hmm. that the singer could sing and taking it from there. So I just put it in between those two so I knew what her range was. that's brilliant so I have just loved using your music over the years Uh, I still use that you know we were talking earlier about the cover songs of adults Casper Baby Pants did the Beatles albums oh I didn't even know that he did two albums of full Beatle covers Uh uh-huh you also mentioned you know the Paul Simon song and it made me think of my mom and my brother's wedding he let her pick the song that they danced to for the mother-son dance and she chose a carpenter song. You were mentioning that particular song that you sang to your daughter. And it made me think of that song that my mom sang to my brother 
my love of music is, I never thought about it, but it is intrinsically tied with my love of reading. It helped me with language development. So having good children's musicians to me is as important as having good children's authors because it helps children to have that access to language learning in different ways so it can reach different children. Because not every child is going to immediately grab onto words on a page, but they might grab onto words in a song. Absolutely. And children who learn differently in like very big, more obviously different ways, like kids who are nonverbal for a long time. That's actually a lot of feedback that I get too, is particularly kids with autism who, if you give them a song that they care about, then they will start to figure out how to ask for it. I mean, beyond, of course, the language skills that are learned just through the words that are in the song. And so you develop those, how to say things, you learn vocabulary and feel that communication. But it's just, it is amazing that that breadth. Thank you so much, Lori, for joining us today. You can listen to the Lori Berkner Band on their YouTube channel or by checking their CDs and books out from the library. Thank you so much. It was great to talk to you. With 2022 coming to a close, many of us are finding ourselves preparing our resolutions for the new year. Luckily, Harris County Public Library offers many resources to help you complete your goals and achieve your dreams. Growing your career needs plenty of support. Melissa Martinez discusses Grad Cafe and what resources Harris County provides. Hello, my name is Jennifer and I am the Senior Adult Program Specialist at the High Meadows Branch Library. And I'm happy to bring today Melissa Martinez from Project Grad. Hi, Melissa. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Jennifer. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm so glad that you came to talk to us today about Grad Cafe and everything that's done. Please tell us a little bit about yourself, Project Grad and Grad Cafe. So my name is Melissa Martinez and I'm the director of Project Grad. What Project Grad does is we have a service called Grad Cafe. So Grad Cafe offers intergenerational support to the community, helping individuals get into and through college or a career training. Oh, awesome. So what are some of the things that the Grad Cafe has to offer? Each Grad Cafe location is a one-stop shop. We have trained advisors that provide services to assist individuals explore careers, academic pathways, educational training, accessing financial aid, applying to college, resume writing, essay writing. Mm -hmm. Yes, and all of these services are free Mm -hmm. um, and they're intergenerational. So there's no age limit and all of our advisors are trained and bilingual. Oh, that's great. Awesome. What is Grad Cafe's mission? Our mission is to help Houstonians get into and through college. We want them to get into college, obtain a certification, um, whether it's a workforce certification or four-year or two-year degree, and then get through college, earn that, and then come back and work in the community, have a better quality of life. Oh, that's awesome. You guys do some really great work. Are there any upcoming uh, dates or events that you'd like to share with our community? Um, Actually, yes. We On November 30th, we have a virtual workshop. It's Mm -hmm. um, accessing scholarship dollars, so Mm -hmm. uh, free money. It'll be a virtual workshop. The website, uh, the link to register is on our website, which is gradcafe.org. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also schedule virtual appointments through our website. So if an individual is not able to get to one of our locations, 
And we also have in-person workshops. Um, Our first one for the new year will be January 26th. We had a huge college fair last month, but our next in-person workshop will be in January. But upcoming in a couple of weeks is our virtual scholarship workshop. Oh, okay. If anyone is interested in what Grad Cafe has to offer, where can they find you in person and online? In person, we are at High Meadows Library mm-hmm. on Tuesdays from 10 to 5. And then we have four other locations. One is at the Parker William Branch Library on Wednesdays from 10 to 6. Mm-hmm. And then we are inside Galena Park Branch Library on Thursdays from 3 to 6. We are also out in Baytown, um, Lee College, Wednesdays and Thursdays, 10 to 6. And then we have our Pasadena location inside the Central Pasadena Library, Tuesday through Thursday, 10 to 6. And then our Grad Cafe Park Place, which is at 3100 Broadway, Tuesday through Thursday, 10 to 6. Oh, great. So if anyone wanted to find these locations, where could they visit you online for more information? All of these locations, along with their dates and hours of operation, can be found on our website, which is gradcafe.org. Great. And you're also on social media, I know, on Instagram and Facebook, if anyone wants to search them, their Project Grad or Grad Cafe. Is there a phone number that we can call if we have any questions? Yes, you can reach us at 832-325-0325. Awesome. Thank you so much, Melissa, for joining us. And to our listeners out there, I just want to encourage you to reach out to Grad Cafe. They do some really great work. Thank you for having me. It's easy to feel overwhelmed at the prospect of finishing a high school degree. Gaspar Guevara shows us how Harris County supports adult literacy and tries to make the process as easy as possible. Hello, my name is Jennifer, and I'm the Senior Adult Program Specialist over at the High Meadows Branch Library. Hi, I'm Kara, and I am a Library Program Specialist also at the High Meadows Branch Library. And we are happy to interview Gasper today from our administrative offices. Hi, Gasper. Hi, guys. Would you mind telling us and our listeners your title and department and what you oversee? Yes, so my name is Gaspar Guevara, and I am the Adult Literacy Specialist for the Harris County Public Library System. As the Adult Literacy Service Specialist, I am responsible for managing our adult literacy programs for all 26 branches in the Harris County Public Library System. Great, 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 great. One of the programs that we're wanting to talk to you about today is the Career Online High School Program, which is relatively new when it comes to literacy in Harris County Public Library. Could you tell our listeners exactly what Career Online High School is? So the Career Online High School is an online high school diploma and career certification program available through the Harris County Public Library System. A limited number of scholarships are awarded to qualified adult students. The course is 100% online and are taught in an online learning environment available to you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The program is self-directed and each credit is designed to be completed over the course of one month. You're usually given 18 months to complete 18 credits. The average time to complete is 12 months. You can shorten your completion time by transferring up to 14 credits from previously completed accredited high school courses. Also, you can create a career portfolio containing important job documents such as your resume and cover letters. Also, you earn both your high school diploma and a certificate in your chosen career path. Awesome. So how would you say the library system helps potential students? 
So it does help students because this is not a GED program. Graduates earn a mm -hmm. high school diploma and a career certificate through an accredited high school. So each student is assigned an academic coach who offers ongoing support and connects you with additional instructional help when needed. Each library offers support through library resources. So these resources can be MyFi's, which we use to give Wi-Fi to people who do not have internet access. Mm -hmm. uh, PyTops are available for those that need a computer. And of course, it is a library, so we do have academic materials if they need help with algebra or any of the credits that they're trying to get guidance on. Some colleges and institutions and organizations require a high school diploma and may not accept the GD. So in addition to a high school diploma with COHG, you can earn the career certificate and complete additional job preparation documents and training. Oh, that's great. I didn't know that some colleges didn't accept GEDs. Yes, that and another thing too is financial aid. So when they're trying to get financial aid, sometimes GEDs, they're not allowed to get that. Oh, that's good to know. So let's say that someone listening right now is interested in signing up. What are the requirements and where can they begin the process? So of course, they have to be eligible for our program. So program applicants must be a Harris County resident. Mm -hmm. They must be at least 19 years old. And they have to have a Harris County library card in good standing or be willing to be able to apply for a library card if they don't have one. It is recommended that the applicant has attended the ninth grade. For those interested in Career Online High School, they first would have to complete a short online Are You Ready survey at harriscounty.careeronlinehs.org. So after you have successfully finished the survey, you'll be contacted by the library to discuss the prerequisite course. Upon oh, successful awesome. completion of the course, you will be contacted by the library to schedule an interview and discuss your application into the program. A determination will be made regarding the scholarship award after the interview. Program applicants who have already received a standard high school diploma or a high school equivalency diploma are not eligible for this program. Mm -hmm. Minors should pursue their high school education through existing high school programs. Mm -hmm. Is there anything coming up for students who have already completed the program? Yes, Career on High School is one of our newest literacy programs. Mm -hmm. We first piloted this program in 2020 at four out of the 26 library locations with 15 students. So once the student completed the program, each graduate was provided a small graduation ceremony with close friends and family at their home library. So our program has grown and we have provided just under 100 scholarships since then. We now have about 60 active students and 27 graduates. So we shifted from having small ceremonies to a larger group ceremony for all our graduates. But this ceremony will include more than graduation ceremony. We have invited organizations in the county that can continue to support our graduates. We'll have resources and representatives available to help them on any future endeavors, continue in education, workforce training, and employment opportunities. We believe it was important to continue supporting our graduates even after they received their diploma so that they have the resources to be successful and achieve their goals. That's amazing. So you guys are not only helping with their high school diplomas, but just setting adults on the right track for their entire future, which is just admirable. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so in addition to Career Online High School, what other literacy programs are offered through Harris County Public Library? So our adult literacy program includes adult basic education, English as a second language, and citizenship classes. So HCPL classes are taught by staff or volunteer tutors and are completely free of charge. All books and materials are provided by the library. Adult basic education is designed for native English speaking individuals who want to learn to read and write better. 
Our ESL program helps non-native English speaking individuals to read, write, and speak better English in a safe and friendly surrounding. Citizenship classes help individuals prepare for the naturalization interview and test by studying the 100 civics questions asked at the interview to practice basic English speaking, reading, and writing skills. Sessions or classes meet once or twice a week for one to two hours a day. Classes can either be one-on-one -on -one or in groups. However, most classes are in small groups, which is about two to six students, with several of the branches offering larger groups, which is more than seven students. At our branch, we're one of the branches that offer ESL and citizenship. And I know there are many um, students throughout the system that have received their citizenship through the program or through help with the program. If you know anyone who's interested, tell them to come to your local library because it is really great what we do. Exactly. So how can people who are interested in our literacy program volunteer to be tutors or otherwise support our programs? So the Harris County Public Library has 26 library branch locations throughout Harris County. You can contact your nearest Harris uh, library if you're interested in attending a class or tutor in our program. To find the nearest library branch, please go to hcpl.net and click on services and there should be a list of uh, services that we provide for our adult literacy program. If you want to be a tutor, the one thing we do ask is to attend a one hour orientation just so you can get to have some training and know what our program comes with. And if anyone had any additional questions, all you have to do, like uh, Gasper said, is just head to our website at www.hcpl.net or give your local branch a call and staff there will be happy to help you. Gasper, I want to thank you for taking the time out of your day to let us interview you and tell us about these great services and Career Online High School. All right, thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Using Our Library Voices. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Using Our Library Voices podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and any other podcast streaming platforms. For more information on any of the resources and books mentioned in this episode, please contact your local library or visit our website at www.hcpl.net. This podcast was produced by John Harbaugh and edited by Beth Cripple. It's hosted by Ellen Kalusia. Thank you to Jennifer Finch, Lori Berkner, Jennifer Nandal, Melissa Martinez, Kara Ludwig, and Gaspar Guevara.